Thank you, worship team. So good. So, so good. Well, good to see you all in church this morning. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our church family watching online. Glad you're joining us today. And um, we're going to jump right into the Word today. So if you get your Bibles out, your notepads and papers out, everything you got, your phones, <laughs> as long as you got that social media off, unless you're watching from social media, then go ahead and share. If you're watching on Facebook, share it. Let somebody else know the good news of the gospel. Get it out, right? That's what we want. Wherever you're watching from on social media, let us know. Put it in the comments. We, got, we always like to know where you are watching from this morning. All right, we're going to start reading this morning. It's a bit of a long read. We're going to start in Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. Um, and uh, it's, it's a bit of a long read, but I think it's important to, to read it in its context. All right, so everybody got their Bibles? Everybody at Luke chapter 7? Say amen. If you're not there, say wait. Seriously? Like the whole side of this room right here. It's under the L's. Luke. I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. All right, are we ready? So one of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. He's talking about Jesus. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then, a woman of the village, the town prostitute, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a beautiful alabaster jar filled with very expensive perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, raining tears onto his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet kissed them and anointed them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who is falling all over him. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces the other 50. Neither of them could pay up. And so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, oh, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. From the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. She has many, many sins and has been forgiven. And so she is very, very grateful. And so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? 
Ignoring them, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Have you ever received, have you ever seen somebody receive a gift and it's something they really wanted and when they get the gift, they are so excited and they are so overwhelmed that their gratitude for the gift and the way they're thanking the person gets a little out of control. Like you're watching them and you're like, oh, so, they're so excited, bless. And then you're like, okay, let's, let's take it down a notch. Like, okay, you're, getting a, you're making us feel a little uncomfortable here. You know, have you ever been in that situation? Well, that's kind of what happens here when you read this story, when you read this account of what's happening to this woman uh, and Jesus, some people's worship and adoration of Jesus in the scriptures is so profound and passionate. And if you're honest, a little awkward. You know, you're re I mean, you're reading the story. Uh, le let's look at the scene. Okay, let's picture the scene. So you have Simon. He's a Pharisee, which means he was a religious leader of the time. He's hosting a dinner party for the up-and-coming Messiah or the next great prophet or a fake. He had yet to determine which. And they're all lounging. Picture the scene. They would have been sort of lounging around. They lounged in those days at a table, lounging. And in walks a woman of the night. Okay? You've organized this dinner party. The food is cooking. It smells good. The candles are lit. Everything is out. People are dressed nicely. And in walks a woman not dressed to the nines, but dressed to the night. Okay? And he's like, um, mm, 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 no, no, thank you. No, mm, mm, no, not here. No, please leave. He doesn't say it, but you know that's what's written all over the Pharisee's face, right? And then he's like, uh, um, I, I don't know what on earth you're doing here. Or why is this so-called prophet letting you touch him? See, because in those days, a Pharisee, the word Pharisee actually meant separate. They believed that if you were separate from sin, they assumed their holiness was as intact as long as they could keep themselves separate from sin or the sinner. So the fact that Jesus is letting this woman touch him, he's being defiled. Okay? So this is what's going on in Simon's head. So picture the scene. They're all sitting there. Simon's there. Jesus is here. And the, the scripture says that she is behind Jesus on the floor. She is now crying. Jesus is not even looking at her. She is crying so hard that the tears are washing his dirty feet. But she didn't think about bringing a towel because she didn't quite see this happening quite like this. So she does the unthinkable in those days and she lets down her hair. The hair was your crown. It was your glory. She lets down her hair and she begins to wash and wipe his feet that she's crying. She's wiping it with her hair and at the same time kissing his feet and then pouring this expensive oil all over his feet. 
Simon's over here like, are we, is nobody going to talk about this? Like, he's, he's not saying anything. Jesus is over here like, pass the hummus, please. You know, like, are we, are we just not going to, are we not, are we not going to say anything about what's happening? But Jesus, knowing his thoughts, proves he's greater than a prophet. Yes, Jesus knows your thoughts. Jesus knows his thoughts, so he answers him with a story, and he extracts a principle from the story. And of course, the principle is forgiven much, loves much. We'll try it again. Forgiven much, loves much. If you're watching online, give me a heart emoji or something for that. Loves much. So now watch, watch what happens. Watch Jesus' posture change. Watch his body language change as Simon's rejection of Jesus is revealed in contrast to this woman's worship. Remember, Jesus is not looking at her. Now watch his body language change. He turns to the woman and continues to talk to Simon. His body language is explaining, I have rejected you, Simon. I am accepting her. He's still rejecting him out the corner of his mouth. He's saying to them, you weren't loving. You didn't adore me. You weren't there to honor me. You did not respect me. I, by my body language, am accepting her. See, Simon doesn't think he's a sinner. We know this because he calls her one. (laughs) Simon was inclined to believe that there are Certain sins that are greater than others. No different than today. Well, I'm not that much of a sinner. I mean, I know I lied to my boss to get out of work, but not like Molly who's sleeping with her boyfriend. Don't worry, there's no Mollies in the church. I checked. And if you're new today and your name's Molly, I'm sorry. I didn't know. But we tend to say, well, I, I, I wasn't that bad. I, you know, I, I didn't do drugs or sleep around, so I, I, I didn't need that much forgiveness. I was easier to save. I needed less grace. But see, no sin can stand in God's presence. No sin. So one small white lie, one indiscretion, one lustful thought, one spiteful thought would have needed Jesus' excruciating death. So I would venture to say that we've all killed him many times over. Each and every one of us have many reasons to be grateful and to show Jesus the adoration that he deserves. And in Simon's case, he thought sexual sin was unforgivable, yet pride was okay. He says, oh, that's, she's the greater sinner. But Jesus says, she's the greater lover. If we could truly grasp the depths to which we've been forgiven, then extravagant and I might say awkward adoration of Jesus will be the way we worship. 
Now, I'm not saying if you've been a believer for a while, I'm not saying you call yourself a sinner because we're not. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And you don't want to be focusing on your sin all the time. Oh, I'm a sinner. This is this, you know, that mindset. No. If you've moved from that and you're the righteousness of God, every single week, God shows you mercy and grace. You don't even know, you're not even aware of it. Mercy is when God gives you something that you, you deserve, but he doesn't give what you deserved. You did something wrong. God should punish you, but his mercy says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve this week. Grace is getting something that you didn't earn that he gives you. Something good, something favorable that happens that you're like, how did this even happen? It's God's grace. Every single week, God's grace and his mercy is extended to you. So every Sunday you come into corporate worship, you have something to be grateful for, to adore your king for, to be extravagant about because of his grace and his mercy that he showed you that week. And maybe you're like, man, I had the worst week possible. Everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. But today, I'm looking at you, and as far as I can tell, you have breath in your lungs, which means you have a reason to worship him. Because just because you saw a week that went bad, you don't know what else he saved you from. And you don't know what he's using that for that's going to benefit you next week. We're so living the moment that if you could step outside of it and say, God, you're so great. You're so amazing. You're so full of, I, I just adore you. I'm just so happy to be in your presence, God. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that you showed me this week. Thank you that you're working all things out for my good. See, it says all good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. But sometimes we think perfect means it feels good. God can use something in your life to get you where he needs you to be. So the outcome for him is perfect. For him, it's perfect. For you, you're like, this is pain right now. I don't know what's happening. I don't like the situation. I'm, I'm going through. It's stretching. It's hurting. It's not, it's not, it's not. And God's like, and you're like, God, take this away. And he's like, why? I'm put it there. So you can get where I need you to go. So we all have so much reason to extravagantly and awkwardly worship and adore our king. You know, and I think sometimes for people, they've never even, they've never lifted their hands. They've never clapped their hands in a service. They've never got down on their knees. And they're like, why? Why do you have to do all that? Because you worship the Lord with your spirit, soul, and body. All three parts of you. Your spirit man, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and then you have your physical body. And your spirit, yes, it has no problem. It gets here. It wants to be in God's presence. It wants to worship. Your soul, sometimes you walk in a little heavy. You're like, okay, all right, so, you know, I want to worship Jesus. And you start singing the songs and you start to feel better. But your body needs to worship God too. Because when God looks from heaven, he wants to see all three parts worshiping. Spirit, soul, and body. 
And that's why you raise your hands to God as not just an act of surrender, but an act of God, I, I don't know what else I could do. I would jump up and down, but then I'd have to see Dr. Chris again because I keep putting my neck out a little bit and it gets, I did do a lot of that at P3, but yeah, my neck, uh, but anyway, uh, side problem. So, you know, maybe jumping is a little extreme as we get older, but so you do what you can do with your limitations. But I, I want to, I would like, I can't wait to heaven so we can like dance around like crazy, please. You know, and do, um, in my mind, cartwheels, no cartwheels down front, please. It's a little out of control. But um, in, in my soul, that's how I feel. I'm like, I can't do enough, God. I can't, I can't express enough, right? It's just, and that's what part of it is. So when God looks down, he sees every part of you just so worshiping, so filled with adoration, so acknowledging who he is. There's another element to this story that is often overlooked and that is her sacrifice and how it affected Jesus. She knows she's a sinner, but she's coming to Jesus anyway. She wants something from him. She needs something from him. We're not privy to her thoughts. There's not one word that she says that's recorded. So we don't know why she's coming. All we know is that she didn't come empty-handed. If you research it, it says that this alabaster jar was expensive perfumed oil. They would take just a little drop of it and put it on their skin and it would permeate their body. But this was so expensive, it was equivalent to one year's worth of wages to buy it. Imagine taking all your money for a year to buy a perfume. That's expensive. And so she comes to Jesus. She comes to him hoping, I don't know, maybe secretly praying that he's going to what? Help her? Save her? Rescue her? We don't know until we see Jesus' last words spoken to her. And he says this, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now that word peace, remember the Bible is originally written in Greek in the New Testament. And so a word can expound and have different meanings than just we would think peace is like, oh, you know, just no anxiety, peace. But that's not what it means in the Greek. It actually means this. The word peace in the Greek means completeness and wholeness. So Jesus says to her, look, you trusted in me. You're not only just saved and blessed with eternal life, but I want you to go now and live a complete, whole, peaceful life. God cares about your eternity, yes, but he cares about your here and now. And he wants you to live in completeness and wholeness here and now. So what did Jesus respond to? Was it... Was it her worship? Was it her crying? Or was it her sacrifice? See, unfortunately, most modern day believers today don't understand that word sacrifice in relationship to God. We know, we know about reading our Bibles, we know about prayer, we know about fasting, but not many understand sacrifice. And what it means to God. 
If you want to know God and know how he responds to us and not just be religious, then you need to study the Bible. You need to look at the patriarchs of the Bible and see, wow, God responded to them quite frequently, quite easily. What did they have that I should be doing that they were doing? You can learn lessons from this when you look at it. See, because it's not about how we approach God, but how does God want to be approached? Faith is the foundation to everything. So hear me now. Faith is our foundation. You can't even approach God without faith. Faith pleases God. We get that. Faith is literally the foundation that you're going to stand on for your time with the Lord. But there is more. There's higher dimensions with the Lord. So God, how everybody is standing on faith, but yet you see other people, God responds to them differently. Why? Well, when you see, when you look all through, if you look all through scripture, there is something that almost provokes God, if I can use that word, to answer. And it's one word. Sacrifice. For the sake of time, I'm only going to give you a few quick examples because there are many, many, many in Scripture. But I'm only going to give you a few for the sake of time. So let's start reading in Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 37. This is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the sin offering, and the guilt offering. And the ordination offering and the sacrifice of peace offerings. If you don't know what's happening, this is under the old covenant. The old covenant said that if they needed something from God, they had to bring either an offering, a sacrificial offering, or they had to do, offer up a sacrifice. So you needed forgiveness. You had sin in your life, a sacrifice. You need you needed to get rid of guilt in your life. A, a sacrificial offering. You wanted the peace of God? An offering. Everything that they came to God with, in order for God to move on their behalf, they first had to bring a sacrificial offering. But Cindy, we're in the new covenant. Hello, we've got Jesus. We're in the new covenant, right? We, we Jesus, we have everything through Jesus. Yes, yes we do. But let's not forget that the only reason that you can come to God and say, God, I've sinned, please forgive me. And he does is because something was paid first. Something was given first. Jesus paid the sacrifice for you to be even able to pray that prayer. But because it didn't cost you anything, you don't realize God's love language is sacrifice. I mean, look at the way Jesus died. Dr. Chris did such a great explanation of that last week. Like what? Like why? Why did he have to die like that? Sacrificially. Why does God ask Abraham to offer up his only son as a sacrifice. 
Look, we can look back and see, oh, the atonement, we get all that. The covenant, we, get, we understand all of that. But why like that? Why does he ask him to offer Abraham, offer up Isaac as, as a sacrifice? Jesus, God assist him, offer him up. Then Abraham's just about to kill his son and God intervenes. And what does God say? Now I know that you love me. Now you know? Now I know that you love me. Meaning God doesn't know you love him until you are willing to lay your life down. See, Jesus said there's no greater love than to lay your life down. What does it say? For another. And Jesus laid his life down for us. So God gave the biggest sacrifice there was. God gave his all. He gave his best. That's why the greatest sign of love to God is not prayer. It's not fasting. It's sacrifice. Something that doesn't cost you something God will never be moved by it. Many of you are coming to God with hundreds of prayer requests all the time. God, God this, God this, I need this, I need this, move here, move this, do this, do this. And God wants to. He's a good daddy. You shouldn't even have to ask him for your daily bread because that's part of being a kid. Which parent goes to their, their dad and goes, please, can you please buy some bread today? They're like, dad, there's no bread in the cupboard. What's happening? Right? Yet you come to God begging him for your daily needs. Why? That's an expectation. You just come with thankfulness. God, thank you for meeting that. But many of you have so many prayer requests in every single thing, yet there's, there's nothing from your side to God to say, God, here's my sacrifice to you to show you how much I love you. 2 Samuel 24 verse 22, this Scripture always gets me. This is King David. I'm not going to give you the whole backstory of what's happening at the time, but he needs to make an offering, a sacrificial burnt offering to the Lord. And so he finds this farmer, let's call him a farmer, who owns a bunch of land and has everything he needs and the cattle and everything. And so he goes up to him and he's like, listen, I need to make an offering to God. I need to do it. And the farmer is like, listen, take whatever you want. Have my land. Have the cattle. Have whatever you need. I give it to you so that you can offer it to God. Listen to David's response. David is the king. But the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on buying it for I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him fifty pieces of silver. When we talk about sacrificial offering, many people immediately go to finances. And yes, there's a reason why we lean to finances quickly is because it's a big part of our lives. And there's many people that financially are living paycheck to paycheck and are consumed with 
the thought of money. You wake up wondering, am I going to have a sale today? Am I, is the money going to come in? Am I going to pay this bill? So money is at the forefront of your thinking. Therefore, it has become very important in your life. Therefore, sacrificial giving for you would be your money. Many people are still just trying to fight with the tithe. They haven't even got to the place of sacrificial giving. Your tithe is not sacrificial giving. It belongs to God. You're just stealing. Did she just say that? Can we like delete this recording? Take it down? I don't know. <laughs> the tithe belongs to God. It's not even a question. All through scripture. Let's not even debate it. And if you're still needing to debate, debate it, then, you know. That just belongs to God. That's not even a question. Sacrificial giving is over and above. So yes, Finances are sometimes the easiest way to show God, God, I'm sacrificing to show you my love for you, God. This is, I, I want to go over and above, God. That's sacrificial giving. But for some people who've been tithing and giving and maybe finances is not an issue and you gladly will write a bigger check because God will do that to you and you get to a happy place with, oh yeah, I'm good with giving this amount. Then God will say, oh, why don't you give this amount this month? And you're like, Whew. Okay, it's, it's an extra zero there, God. You know, and so he will stretch you. He will grow you. But for some people, you get to a place where uh, I've literally said to God, God, I'll give you every, every, everything in my bank account. Just tell me right now. I'll write the check. My husband's like, what? What's happening? <laughs> um, but when you get to a certain place, then there's something else in your life that you can sacrifice. I can't tell you what that might be. For some of you, it might be, you bought this beautiful pair of shoes or this top-of-the-line sneaker that you've waited for and you saved for and you've bought this pair of shoes and God says, give those shoes away. What? God, not those, right? And you're like, no. And God's like, give that. Because God wants to know, do you love him more than the shoes? You can't outgive God. Trust me, you're going to give him something. He's going to bless you with so much more. You're not going to be in lack. You're not even going to miss those shoes. Let me just tell you that. God always will outgive you. But you have to determine what is that sacrificial thing in your life that maybe you're holding on to. For some of you, it might not be shoes. Drea? No, get it. <laughs> Although I've seen her give bags of her shoes away. So I, I'm just messing with her. She knows I love her. See, God is a jealous God. But he has a right to be. He gave his all to you. When he says, I, in John 3, 16, because I love the world, I'm going to give the most precious thing I have. I want to show the world that I truly love them. So what does he do? He sacrifices his son. So when you come to God and you say, God, I love you. But see, the devil likes to deceive people when it comes to finances. When we say, oh, so is seed. Oh, what? Are you trying to buy a miracle from God? That's, what, that's, the, de that's the demons talking to you, just, by, just so you know. What are they trying to do? Buy a miracle from God? You can't buy anything from God. He literally has streets of gold. 
like, hello, he doesn't actually need your money. He's not like, oh, finally, got that extra 50 cents in my pocket. <laughs> he's not, like, he's not concerned with that. He's concerned with your heart posture. See, when the widow came and she offered up a penny versus the rich men, the rich men were technically giving more than the widow. But Jesus said she gave her all. It was a sacrificial giving of giving it all. That's what God looked at and that's what he saw. But the devil deceives people about money because he understands what the sacrifice means. He's been around from the beginning. He saw what God demanded from people, then asked of people, then what God gave. The devil understands what happens when you start sacrificially giving to show God how much you love him. God can't help it. He is provoked. He has to show up in such a way that overshadows you, that blesses you, that loves you. He can't help it. So the devil wants to get in the way and stop it. Look with your spiritual eyes. Stop being carnally minded and looking so at like holding on to all you got to that dollar bill. Realize the demons that are talking to you in your ear that are keeping you from what God's got for you. In the New Testament, there's a man named Cornelius. He was a Gentile. So after Jesus died, everybody thought Jesus just came for the Jews, okay? That's what they thought. He was a Gentile outside of the covenant, they thought. <clears throat> so Cornelius was praying and he was giving alms, it said, to the poor. He was a giver. For you to be put in the Bible as a person who gives means he was giving a lot, right? He was giving so much that it said in heaven, there was a memorial of him when he prayed. When he began to pray, because of all of his giving, a memorial came up so much so that God turned and went, oh, Cornelius is praying again. Because of his giving, there was a memorial before God. So what does God have to do? God sends an angel to him to tell him, hey, you need to go find a guy named Peter. Because angels... They are not allowed to share the gospel. If you didn't know that, they can't tell you, they can't get somebody saved. It's left up to man. But he, they could give them direction. So he says, hey, listen, you need to go and find this guy named Peter um, to get you uh, <clears throat> saved and spirit-filled. You know, he doesn't. Because what happened is Cornelius' giving elevated him spiritually ahead of where he was supposed to be. So God had to intervene. He's giving, elevated him to a spiritual place where he was not yet supposed to be. He was a Gentile. God's like, we need to intervene. <laughs> we need to get this guy saved. Go, send an angel. Because there was a memorial in front of him. If you want to advance spiritually, hear me, it will not happen without sacrifice. It will not. Praying and fasting is not enough. Although it's good, it's not enough. Financially is just one of the ways when you are on advance spiritually that you will start with, that God will deal with you with, with sacrificially giving. That's just the first way. I can look at my life and see as, the, as, I've, as the God has advanced me spiritually, the time. God is a jealous God and he wants time. I have to learn to prioritize, okay, time with my husband, time with my family, because God wants all my time. 
And so there's, there's time that you will sacrifice to advance spiritually with God. But there are relationships. I think that was one of the hardest, one of the biggest sacrifices of my life at that time was when I had to lay a relationship on the altar. God never asked me for it. But when the moment was presented, do I choose the call of God on my life or do I choose this relationship? I chose the call of God. And I laid that relationship on the altar. As painful as it was, as it ripped my heart out, I laid it on the altar. Friends don't understand that kind of a sacrifice. And when you make that kind of a sacrifice, your family might not understand the sacrifice that you are making. But I'm not making it for anybody else. I'm making it for my father. Because I choose him. I choose his love. If you want to advance spiritually, there will come a time that the sacrifices will increase in different ways. And I can't tell you what your sacrifice is. You alone know. Because you alone know what you're holding on to so tight. And God says, are you willing to let that go for me? To show me how much you love me. And the irony in my life, I look back and now I'm so glad, I'm so relieved, I'm so beyond ecstatic that I chose God and not that. Like I said, it wasn't God. Most of the times it won't be God that comes to you, it'll be a circumstance. Because there'll be people in your life that will provoke you to choose or promote you to choose. See, it's not always hurtful. Sometimes the way it's going to come is you're going to get a sudden promotion, a promotion you've been waiting for. But you'll have to work every Sunday. You'll have to miss Bible college. You'll have to be away from the Lord. And God is watching. Who do you choose? This is your moment of sacrifice. Who do you think brings promotion? God. He can bring many, many more and many greater. But in the moment, in that moment, who do you choose? Another way to explain sacrifice, um, I was thinking about it, and that is to say to give your best. If you have two blankets, they both cost you the same amount of money. One's older, it's been washed a bunch, it's not all fluffy. The other one is newer, and it's so soft, and it's fluffy, and it's your absolute favorite. And somebody needs a blanket, and you want to give the old one. <laughs> but to give your best means to give the one you love, the new one, the fluffy one, right? That's another way to say, I'm giving my best, God. I'm sacrificially giving, I'm giving my best. So when you come to God with your prayer requests, when you come in prayer to God saying, I love you, God, what does he see in heaven when you pray? Is there a memorial that comes up, a sweet-smelling aroma that he goes, oh, Cheryl must be praying. Oh, this Josh must be praying again. He recognizes your prayer by the memorial in heaven. Because prayer is more than words. 
your sacrifice will speak for you. Your sacrifice will speak for you. And that is what is happening in this account. The woman didn't say a word. Yes, we know Jesus could read her thoughts, but she didn't say a word. What spoke for her was her sacrifice. Her sacrifice is what moved God. I want you to prepare your offering this morning. And I, I want you to approach it with a different heart. When we prepare our offering, it's not something cavalier that we throw, pick a few bucks and throw it in. I hope you understand now what it means when I say, prepare your best for God. Give your best. We'll put up the three ways to give for me, if we could. For those giving online, you can give via uh, text. You can give online through the site. Through cash or card, we'll have the, the um, ushers be ready. For some of you, it's going to be a sacrificial offering. Maybe you've never actually given to God this way before. But if you love God, then this word would have pierced your heart. God always gives everybody an opportunity. When the revelation comes... He then watches to see, what are you going to do with what I've given you? Because don't expect more revelation in your life until you do what he last told you to do. So let that revelation speak to the Holy Spirit. You decide. The Bible says, give cheerfully. Cindy, how can I give cheerfully and it be a sacrifice? Because you know God, you can never outgive God. And he is your source. And he's going to take care of you. But it's between you and him. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Because once we do this, we're going to have a, a little time of worship. Because what you've done right now is you've prepared your heart to come into God's presence in a new way. Because as you've prepared your sacrifice, you've laid your sacrifice on the altar... Now when you come into his presence, we're coming in to adore him and worship him. We're not coming to ask for anything. Because your sacrifice speaks louder than your words. God knows what you have need of. He knows what the enemy stole from you this week. He knows what the enemy caused in your life this week. He knows where the enemy overstepped his line. And you feel, God, how could this have happened? What was I doing? What happened? God is aware. And he is taking care of you. And he is going to turn the situation around. And he will take care of you. Trust me, 1,000% God will take care of you. Let your sacrifice and your worship and your adoration go up to God like a sweet-smelling aroma. And allow the King of Kings to intervene in your life as He sees fit. We'll have the lights down. We're going to pray and then we'll receive it. Father God, I thank You. I thank You, Father, for, for today, Lord. I thank You for the Word, Lord. Father, we love You. 
Today, God, we, we honor you. We worship you, God. And we sacrificially give, God, our best to you today. God, not because we want anything, but because we want to show you how much we love you, that we are willing to lay our lives down, God. Whatever you ask, God, whatever it is. God, I want all of you. You gave me all of you in Jesus. I give you all of me. Thank you, ushers. We'll go ahead and receive the offering. As they receive the offering, once the basket comes down, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you to get out of your comfort zone today. Maybe you've never raised your hands to the Lord. Maybe you've never sung out the worship songs before. Maybe you've never come down to the front and knelt at the altar on your knees before the Lord. I want you to do something today to show God, spirit, soul, and body, I love you. You're worthy of my adoration. You're worthy of my praise. You're a good, good God. And I'm going to show the world how much I love you. Go ahead and stand. We'll have the worship lights down and thank you, worship team.
And if you need to get right with the Lord, you just talk to God. Your heart is open. He's listening. If there's things in your life you need to repent of and say, God, I'm going to turn away from that. I don't want any more of that, God. I want all of you, Lord. And just get right with God. He's listening. He's here. He's here. He's listening. His presence is so tangible in this place. The ministering angels are in the room, ministering to people, doing what only God can do. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this moment. Focus on Him. Let's sing. I would. 
But we're going to sing that one more time. If you have not been baptized into the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, it's a spiritual thing that happens. After you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but there's more. There's more of God. There's the baptism in the Holy Spirit that is the power, the fire, and you get your own prayer language, which enables you to communicate with God, not just encourage yourself and edify yourself, but have communication with God and His language. It's a free gift. You don't have to earn it or deserve it. I want you to come down front, put your feet down in front here. I'm going to pray for you. You will receive. <clears throat> Maybe you've been prayed for in the past and you just feel like, oh, I only got one word. I feel like I'm really struggling. I've only got this one word. Then I want you to come down front. There's a, a, a beautiful anointing here. Because there's just a, it's just easier to receive sometimes when the anointing is so thick and present. So if that's you, I want you to just come right down front. Just put your feet against the, state, the, the platform right here, and I'm going to pray for you. We'll have catches behind you to make sure. Thank you. Thank you. Come on down. It's just easier to receive in this anointing. So just come on down. If that's you, I'm gonna, we're going to pray. We're gonna, the rest of you can keep singing. We're going to sing that one more time. I want you to picture yourself in heaven when we sing this song. I want you to picture seeing the throne with the bright light so bright you can't see His face. But you can feel the love of God flowing from the throne into every part of your being. With the angels surrounding the throne, everyone that you've ever loved that's gone on ahead of you is there too. And it's your moment. Jesus walks into the throne room and you finally get to see him. Now let's sing that song one more time. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. I worship you, oh Prince. Prince of peace, yes you are. That 
Lord, we 